Hi, and welcome to Paperback Readers. I'm Joe, that's Julie, and sorry we've been a little slow, a lot going on, had a nice winter storm to slow us all down, and <laughs> did give us a little reading time, but uh, anyway, time to catch up. The last time that we talked to all of you, we were here with our friend Haley, and we were talking about our favorite books of 2023, so today we're going to hit the highlights of our books that we've read for the first month of 2024. Yep. And then talk to you about our shared read, which we have both loved. Do you want to go first? It's fine. I can do that. Um, first, I finally finished Wilson by A. Scott Berg, biography of the 28th president. And it was a very good book. It was a very long book. It was probably about twice the biography of Woodrow Wilson that most people would need. Um, interesting man. I did learn a lot about him. The main thing that's that's really interesting was once he had a stroke with about a year and a half to go in his presidency, his wife, who, by the way, was his second wife, he married her in the White House after his first wife died. Interesting. Uh, she pretty much ran the country. And, you know, it, it's one of those, like, people knew it, but people didn't talk about it, and everybody just kind of went along with things and worked together uh, largely though because of his stroke Wilson couldn't get America into the League of Nations which was one of his big things coming out of World War 1 mm. and he always felt disappointed about it um but interesting guy the more to him than I thought he gets a bad rap now because as a guy who grew up in Virginia in the antebellum world he uh is certainly a racist by modern times uh standards and and really probably by the standards of his own time uh, but uh berg did a good job setting a few of the stories i had heard were not quite true and he, he explained those at some length so if you want to learn about him you could do a lot worse uh again buckle up because it's 700 and something pages long and you're there with it for every minute so all of your presidential books are just getting longer and longer the more modern you get. Yeah, that Truman one is massive, but I'm looking forward to it. I've got a Harding one about the scandals of his time, which seems to be what everybody wants to talk about. So, so as you get to these more modern ones, are you going to continue with biographies, or are you going to go with some of the autobiographies? Uh, I think I'm going to try to go with biographies. I may do a separate one of autobiographies at some point because there are lots of presidents who've done autobiographies. Well, I mean, goes, I'm thinking I read Clinton's. I read um, Obama's. Well, Grant is the, the one that's probably the most famous. I mean, Grant was dying and destitute, and he wrote this book and ended up providing half a million dollars for his wife uh, when he died. So... I'd probably start there, but anyway, yeah, let's let's get through before we <laughs> start picking your next project. Add new things, and uh, of course, there's another book we'll talk about a little later. I read a book, or read it, meaning listened to it, called "Smart, Wrong, and Lucky: The Origin Stories of Baseball's Unexpected Stars" by Jonathan Mayo, which was really interesting. It pretty much is what it says. Uh, he talks about guys who were not highly regarded as prospects, and maybe why they weren't. Uh, and how they went on to succeed anyway. Um, baseball is a trickier thing to evaluate young players. There are a lot of great baseball players who don't really make a splash um, all the way up until they hit the major leagues, and then suddenly they become stars. I feel like the NFL and NBA, you have a little better idea of who the standout guys are going to be. That's not to say there's no surprises, but... Baseball has more of them, and this book kind of showed why. I mean, guys develop at different paces, and people are looking for one thing and don't see something else. Anyway, interesting, pretty quick read. Uh, 
Anybody wants to know about Joey Votto of the Reds was one of them. Albert Pujols, who's just retired from the Cardinals, was one. And a lot of guys like that. Pretty darn interesting. Good deal. Um, then, oh, just finished up a reread uh, because we had been talking some about Harrison Scott Key. I went back to the world's largest man. That's your favorite of his It book. really might be. Uh, it is the first one. And it's largely about, it's, it's kind of a memoir, but also kind of a story about his father. And um, I'm struck again by how, you know, it won some major humor prize. And, and it's not uh, a surprise because it's such a, a funny book, really, everything he writes. I mean, even the, the marriage one had its <laughs> sometimes darkly comedic moments. But there were moments where you couldn't help but laugh. And uh, I do love The World's Largest Man. I think it it may well be his best. But it's a beautiful book. Anyway, you can't go wrong with any of his, but uh, I went back to that one and was glad that I did. Um, as far as others, and there are a couple others, the one I will hit on briefly uh, because we will talk about it at more length, foreshadowing, foreshadowing, is why we love baseball, History in 50 Moments by Joe Posnanski. Uh, much like his Baseball 100, I savored this book. I didn't rush through it. I took my time and enjoyed every minute of it. It just won the Casey Award, which is an annual award given out for the best baseball book uh, for the 2023 award was presented. And uh, it won it. That's Paz's third book that has won that award, and all three are some of my favorites. But He's a great we'll, writer. We'll talk more about that as it goes. So I won't sink too much in. I will say... The 100 was a, uh, a collection of essays kind of about specific players. <coughs> Excuse me. And the 50 uh, centers around moments. Uh, but we'll talk more about that momentarily. Fill us in. What have you been up to? All right. I'm not going to go through all of the books that I've read, but I just want to hit some of my very favorite ones. A couple of them I actually read at the end of 2023. Um, but I'm still going to count them because I got them, you know, in December, they're in that in-between place, and people need to know about these. The first one is The Last Love Note by Emma Gray. You've seen it everywhere. If you've been in a bookstore lately, you've seen it. If you've been on Instagram, you've probably seen it. This book is everywhere. I picked it up from Book of the Month Club, and then I didn't read it for all of December because I was very busy, and also I knew it was going to be super sad. The book is about a young woman whose husband has died, and she's trying to figure out how to put the pieces of her life back together, which is just, it's unimaginable. Um, he died from early, on, <clears throat> excuse me, early onset dementia, which just is horrifying in a person so young. And then um, they have this child together, and she's trying to be strong for their child and uh, hold the whole world together. And it doesn't leave her a lot of space for her own private grieving. When she's on a work trip that unexpectedly takes a kind of crazy turn and leaves her stranded for a couple of days, it's the first time that she really has time to stop and look at the direction her life is going, all the things that have happened to her, and where she might hope that her life can go from here. Listen, I didn't want to read it at first because I thought it was going to be too sad, and it was sad. I definitely cried reading this book. But it was also so hopeful, so beautiful, so absolutely full of love. I could not put it down. I thought it was one of the most gorgeous things I've read. And then I got done with it and got to the acknowledgments and found out that Emma Gray wrote this after the death of her own husband. Oh, yikes. And her story has not played out 
the same as the story that she gave the main character. But still, just she wrote this kind of as a way of helping her figure out her own healing, and that just made it e- mean yeah, even more. That's pretty profound, yeah. And I think she's wonderful. I'll read whatever she writes next to. Then I read The Upstairs Delicatessen by Dwight Garner. Dwight Garner was, he's a, a critic, a food critic. He wrote for the New York Times. He wrote for everybody big and wrote about food. So in this one, I just thought his setup was so wonderful. It's about books. It's also a memoir. He set this up. Like The subtitle is something about like, um, eating to read and reading to eat, and uh, just it goes around like that. He set it up so you, it, it's this first section is breakfast, and then there's um, lunch, and then there's like an interlude, and then there's drinks, and then there's dinner. And he writes about things that he's read in books about all of these different kinds of meals and parts of the day that have to do with food, but also about his own experiences with them. And the result is just this perfect mix. I've seen a lot of people try to write books in similar, not try to write about books in similar ways, but I haven't seen anybody do it as well as he has here. So maybe food is the the key here to writing well about books in this way. It was absolutely a delight if you like books or if you like food and if you like both like I do, it was just maybe my perfect way to end the year. This is like saying, do you like breathing? Do you feel like oxygen? Yeah. But you hit some food stuff. This is kind of a thing for you early in the year. Oh, yeah. And that one was so much fun. The next one I'm going to talk about is also um, about food. It's called The Joy of Snacks by Laura Goodman. I think most of the books that you got me for Christmas were food books because that's what I wanted. And this one just kind of takes you through all of the different kinds of snacks, which snacks are my love language. Um, (laughs) All the different kinds of snacks and drinks that you would have with snacks. Lots of recipes for them. Lots of little kind of short snarky stories about them it read um the way that so many books anymore do like a series of blog posts like something that she's like pulled from her own website and now put in book form but it didn't really bother me as much as it does sometimes with this one just because I was reading about snacks (laughs) and then the next one I'm going to talk about is also a food book and it is called red sauce brown sauce by Felicity Cloak I picked this one up. What are you smiling at? (laughs) Don't ask. Don't even start (laughs) down this path. (laughs) I picked this one up because the description sounded very Bryson-esque. Yeah. Um, Felicity Cloak did a similar thing in France, but now she's back in her home country in Britain, and she's going to get on a bicycle, and she's going to bike all around Britain and um, find out about what makes up a full British breakfast in each of these places. So she goes to Wales, Scotland, Ireland, all over England. and um, Wait a minute. What? Scotland is not part of England. All over the United Kingdom. That's what I mean then. Whatever. When she wrote this <laughs> How book, many countries are in this country, Ted Lasso? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. These are the places she went anyway. Right. And she uh, talks about what makes up breakfast there. She eats breakfast in all these places. She kind of had at the beginning, like the running list of things... Like when we were there, there were similarities in all of these different places among what showed up, but there were extras in all these places too. Mm-hmm. And her theme that ties it all together is the sauces. What sauces do you use? Ketchup, brown sauce. I don't. I still don't understand what brown sauce is. I was going to say I need some brown sauce because we have this, this yeah. featured prominently. But I would very much like to try it. Anyway, she's a really funny writer. Um, and I felt like this book really struck the exact right balance among travel, food, um, humor, memoir just like her own stories and the cast of characters that rotated in and out with her to cycle through they were perfect 
spot on. It was just, it was a really great book. And now I'm going to go back and get her one where she went through France. That is kind of Bryson-esque. And I will say that some of the things she eats defy logic and description and sometimes <laughs> defy us talking about them for reasons that evolve their names. And if you read the book, you'll know what I'm talking about. And if you're on the fence, then go get the book and you'll hit a word and go, oh my gosh. And The last book that I want to talk about before we go back to our shared read is called The Seven Year Slip by Ashley Poston. I read her book, The Dead Romantics, and thought it was sweet, but I'm not really into these books where supernatural kinds of things happen. And so I didn't pick up the seven-year slip at first because it also has this whole supernatural element to it. Um, the main character here has her aunt's old apartment. Her aunt has passed away and left her this apartment in New York City, but it's a magical apartment. And sometimes it has a slip in the space-time continuum and you will meet somebody who is seven years either in the past or the future. And so, of course, she meets a man. Um, and just that, that description didn't really appeal to me, but then, um, the book club that I'm in picked this for its first book of the year, and it's a food book club because of the way that this author writes about food. The man in this book is a chef, and so I thought, well, I mean, that could be interesting anyway, and I really ended up loving this book. It's about a search for who you actually want to be, how your past connects with the rest of your life how we let ourselves change and how we let those that we love change and um, how we hold each other even in the things that we can't understand when you really truly love a person. It also is a lot about art, a lot about food. The characters were great. It was really well written. To be honest, I just finished it like 20 minutes ago and I kind of want to read it again. I thought this was fabulous. So does he have to make the decision to live out of time or can she like come back to whatever no, 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 his no. time is because i'm always intrigued by he that angle. shows up in her life um but he is he it's like seven years earlier that he would have been there like she moves into this, this apartment mm -hmm. and when she opens the door one day she's seven years um it, it's i don't even know how to explain it really <laughs> yeah this is okay here's how it is when she meets him and then he's gone, she won't find him again for seven more years into the future. Okay. Because that's where she was when they first met. Okay. It was seven years earlier for him. Okay. Anyway, this is why I don't like this kind of story. Just read the book. It'll make sense <laughs> if you read the book. All right, I'm done. Let's talk about our shared read. Didn't take seven years, but anyway. <laughs> no, this was one that uh, I had seen and was randomly interested in, and you read it and liked it, and now I, admittedly, I'm still not quite finished with it, but uh, I've come enough to, to discuss it today, but it is David Brooks' How to Know a Person, The Art of Seeing Others Deeply and Being Deeply Seen. Oh, this was so good. We were in Barnes & Noble one night, and you picked it up off the table and said, hey, this author is really good. I bet that this book will be great. And so I opened it and read the synopsis, and I said, we have to get this book. And it really hasn't let us down. It was just as fantastic as it seemed like it would be. Yeah, and on some level, a book called How to Know a Person seems like an odd thing. But honestly, the, the disconnected, tribalistic world we live in, um, even where Brooks's comments can feel a bit mundane, it feels like a good refresher. Even if it's information you've had before, 
reading it again kind of strikes a chord. Um, well, his background for writing this book, his reasons, mm-hmm. were for the fact that um, our we are more disconnected in our culture and our world than we ever have been before, from our neighbors, from people we work with, even from our own friends and family. And he said that we need to heal these divides, not just for our own obvious and personal reasons, that seeing other people and being seen by them, truly known all the way around, helps us live more well-rounded lives, helps us fit more within a community, helps us experience more love, et cetera, et cetera, but also for our whole society as a whole, for culture as a whole. He talks at great length about how the future of democracy is going to be based on our abilities to once again know each other and not just see each other by a list of characteristics that we make up um, that we that that mean in our hearts that we don't now have to humanize other people. Yeah. But if we can look back at people and recognize that there's more alike about us than there is different, then we'll be able to save our society. But you have to look at people in a way to actually see them as opposed to figure out what category to lump them into and thus move on with your life. And that is, again, it's a bit simplistic at times, but it's a, it's a welcome reminder. Um, well, where this book was brilliant was his stories. Yeah, his stories are phenomenal. His personal stories that he shares in here for his own reasons for writing the book and his experiences with other people, but also he, he's a journalist. So the stories that he has researched and come across in his travels and his other writing that he used to illustrate things in this book, they are fantastic and they really highlight what he's trying to say. But also, his I mean, everything in the book, all of his... The other chapters that aren't really personal stories are divided up into, uh, I guess, tips, guidelines, yeah. then with long with commentary on why these things are important and how to experience those things, how to implement them in your life. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a fairly dense read. It's not a long book. I mean, the main part of the text is only about 270 pages, but uh, it's not one you blow through, but at the same time... Um, I definitely identified you were you had talked with a friend who talked about getting a copy just to be able to annotate mm-hmm. and, and mark it up and, and I can completely see the merits of that. Yeah, I think that that would help to internalize all of this stuff. We picked it up from the library just to see um, how we would like it, but now we definitely do want to own a copy so we can write on it. For me, when I read this book, I read it very, very slowly and kind of chunked it up into very short pieces. So that even, I think I was 10 pages from the end and I shut it one night and put it down just because there's so much to digest, so much to take in. Mm -hmm. If you try to read this too quickly, then it will, you're going to miss all the important stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it it, it takes some thought, but an important uh, concept and a construct that's readable enough to be practical and, and yet, you know, doesn't shy away from difficult or hard to articulate ideas in places. It's a, it's a pretty, uh, pretty darn timely book, I would say. It just really felt very wise, very profound. It felt reading this book like you were sitting down with a friend, not somebody who was trying to lecture you, not somebody yeah. who was coming to you and saying, oh, look at me, I have found all the answers, but somebody who said, hey, let's talk about this together. Which is important in this kind of, uh, you know, self-help better life sort of uh, mode because it's easy to be pedantic and tell everybody what they ought to be doing but he's uh, quick to acknowledge that it's advice he tries to work into this is a great book and we highly recommend it 
Um, and that brings us to what we're going to read in two weeks, well, over the next two weeks, and yep. then talk about with you all. You have already read this one. I have. We're going to go back to what Joe hinted at before, Why We Love Baseball, A History in 50 Moments by Joe Poznanski. I read um, a few pages of this tonight just to see if I was going to like this book and be able to get into it, and I absolutely had goosebumps. In the first few pages, he uses the word magical, like, I don't know, 20 times. Um, but that's because that's what this book feels like. That's yeah. what this book is going to be about. And that magic is my favorite part of baseball. So I'm actually very excited to read this one. Yeah, Paws is, is a favorite of mine and, and does a wonderful job of illuminating and explaining without ever overshadowing what it is that he's talking about. And... Uh, he does some great things here. Yeah, I love the Baseball 100. I, if you force me to choose one or the other of them, I don't know. But uh, this one is about half the size. It's maybe twice as accessible for that reason. So I think you'll enjoy it more than you enjoyed your, your attempt at the Baseball 100 at like 800 pages. That one could be a little daunting if you're not a hardcore baseball nerd. But relax, hardcore baseball nerds. There is stuff here for you, too. Yeah, I'm excited for this one. And, you know, it's it's almost the end of January. It's time to start thinking about baseball. Yeah. We've already started buying baseball cards around here. So, you know, <laughs> it's time. If you have read any of the books that we have talked about tonight, or if you have any recommendations for us, we'd love to know what you have for us. So you can get in touch with us at paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com, on Instagram at paperbackreaderspod, or on Twitter X at paybackreaderspod. Yeah, something like that. In any case, hope everybody is doing well and thawing out. And uh, yeah, you're right. Baseball's around the corner. Pitchers and catchers in only a few weeks and only a few episodes of our podcast. But until then, whatever you're into, take a book, enjoy some reading. Thanks, y'all. Bye.